Welcome to Is There There There, the graphic machine podcast that goes beyond the surface of marketing. Each week, we explain how news and trends from around the world are shaping marketing. This week's topic is the afterlife. And as Arcade Fire put it, God, what an awful word. In the wake of the departure of David Bowie, Alan Rickman, and other cultural stalwarts, we started thinking about, as crass as it may sound, we started thinking about the brand of an afterlife and what happens to your brand, whether you're a company or a person, when you die. So, Brian. Talk about it. You're what, not, what are your, your feelings? Death, as far yeah. as I know, is not imminent. So talk to me about... Well, I, I'm often fascinated by, you know, I, I feel like David Bowie, did, he was just an amazing person, but it was particularly interesting how even in death, it, it was sort of an art form. And So for people who don't know, who are not as uh, diehard Bowie heads as ourselves, um, it has come to light in pieces after his passing that he knew he was dying of cancer and he um, completed his last album and several videos for his album literally on his deathbed. It was very important to him that he get these done, get them out, and this was really his goodbye to all of his fans and to the world. The lyrics of the songs are very much about dying. The imagery in the videos is very much about bodies being mummified and passing on and lots of imagery of old astronauts referring back to space oddity and Major Tom. And after his death, he was, as far as everybody knows, cremated in private and his ashes were scattered in multiple locations because he did not want people to be going to his tomb or going to his funeral. He wanted them to remember him for the work that he did while he was here. Well, I find that really fascinating because there is a, to a much lesser extent, if somebody in an organization passes on, um, there's that moment now where you decide that that person is no longer there for real because there's an active moment where you choose to pull somebody off of the, the website or whatever the thing might be inside the organization. And I find that to be on a much smaller scale, it's an active choice that people have to make. And even more and even less morose, um, you know, as a campaign comes to an end, there are these assets that just sort of linger and they are out in the world and they continue on and maybe they have misinformation or inaccurate information. And that's sort of where this leads me, which is the idea of when do you say goodbye? When do you let go? When do mm-hmm. you decide that something's done? And I think that in the digital space, that has become an increasingly difficult thing to to get your hands around or your mind around, really. Um, and it's definitely something that I think about, you know, because often in the building of anything, you think about, oh, we're really excited about this. We're launching this. We're going to get out the door. We're going to get all this excitement. And eventually, all things come to an end. And it's the, the part of the process that often is not talked about or dealt with. And so you find these things around the world or on the web that are relics. There is a site, it's called a 404 page not found. I think we'll put the link on our site. And it's different from the Wayback Machine because it's an archive of sites that are all still live that were created as far back as 1993. And they were made and then kind of forgotten Forgotten. about, but they still exist. And you think about all of the URLs that, you know, are associated with pages that have a very short lifespan and then die. But that's that's as it should be. That's the the nature of digital, I think. But our notions of 
I think our own notions of our own existence are wrapped up in these things. Well, and our, 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 the inevitable desire not to talk about death because at the end yeah. of the day, it's not a topic that people are usually very fond of talking about. And if something goes away, that reminds me that other things go away. And inevitably, I am left thinking about my own death and mortality, for example. Very happy, very happy topic today. <laughs> Which, you know, it doesn't it doesn't have to be a sad topic. No. But it is a fact of life that there's death and there's death in campaigns. There's death in brands. Um, there's actually a really interesting book by my former professor, always mentor and friend, Don Herzog. I'm hoping that we can have him come on the podcast and talk about this book. It's a book about um, what are your defamation rights and what is the right to your reputation after you die. So this is kind of that, you know, David Bowie is still managing his reputation from the grave because of the things that he put into place while he was alive yep. and kind of came to terms with, okay, my conclusion is inevitable. I want it to go like this. I suppose the lesson for anyone who has a brand, any person or company is think about how that dies. The, the beginning, middle, and the end. It's, yeah. You know, we usually like the beginning and the middle a lot. Yes. So much. But yes. uh, the end, not as much. Although and maybe the end has a, a component that lives on. In some of the, the side projects that I've, I've done, I've often thought about like, okay, it's done. I'm finished with this thing. But I want to kind of leave something up as a marker that it, it happened. And I think that's something to think about, that there's this piece that is a, a display piece, maybe, that talks about the highlights that are there. And for brands that are tied very closely to the identities of certain people, and the one that comes to mind is Alexander McQueen. When he died, it was kind of just, it was so unexpected, and his fashion line was him. It's very personal. He was the brand. Where do you go from there? Sure. And he had a second-in-command who'd studied with him and apprenticed and has carried on the brand's name had that not been in place that kind of would have been it versace sort of saw the same uh, component and both were born out of tragedy the transformation but the interesting idea that there's a, the potential even if you know if your brand is sort of undergoing something new and maybe a short notice um it's an opportunity it's not it's it happened it, it did, you know, you can't un make it unhappen. Uh, and so... Going to unmurder you. Exactly. So it's a really good opportunity to see that there's something positive that can come out of this. And I think that's something that people often, they get stuck in the, in the moment of like, well, I'm sad or I'm upset or whatever thing is. And But I think that in business and in marketing in particular, it's sort of like this, it's a moment. It's interesting that you mentioned Versace because people were really furious when Donatella Versace took over the studio. She had a different way of working. She a much different aesthetic. She had worked alongside her brother, but she was not coming in sure. to do what he did. She was coming in to do what, what she, she does. Yeah. And there was a, a backlash among its patrons and consumers for quite some time. Now people look at it and that's the style that they associate with Versace. She moved a little bit more toward his direction. The customers got more used to her style. And if you introduce somebody to the brand today, they wouldn't think anything was strange. What I find kind of interesting, and I'd be curious to know your thoughts on this, like in the world where we are moving towards infinite storage on a personal level. So you think about people that start off early in life with cloud devices and these sorts of things, their digital footprint over their lifetime will be quite enormous. And there will be all these assets that will exist, both from a corporate level and a personal level. There's a lot of digital material that is 
that you make, that you save, that you keep, maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally, but but these all become the issues that you began to think about as you know that ultimate transition happens, either through the end of life or end of campaign. It's it's pretty fascinating stuff. That's something that's developing as a completely new field of um, trust and estates law and property law is when you're planning your will, attorneys are now advising that you include some sort of provision for what happens to all of your digital assets. What happens to your giant Flickr library of all of your photos? You know, what happens to all of your emails? Who has the right to go through those things after your death? So on a slightly less bleak note, um, what it's all about your perspective. <laughs> exactly. What do you think that a person running a company or should be thinking about when they, they start a campaign? What is the best way to handle something, both from a expectations point of a customer coming to this, let's say, a campaign, a website, for lack of a better term, when that gets pulled? What do you do with that? It's something that where I think it's it's one of those rare instances where digital really needs to adopt some practices of print. And in print campaigns, you have an expiration date. You have a date the billboard comes down. You have a date the ad gets pulled. And I think those those types of considerations should apply to digital as well. And maybe in digital, it's not a calendar date. Maybe it's after we've reached X goal or we've had this a type of interaction. Yeah. There is a milestone and then you take it down or you leave it up forever, but leaving it up forever is purposeful. Right. That you've planned for that forever. Right. Yeah. Forever. So why don't you walk us on into the now as opposed to the afterlife. And, uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm doing like the, the anti-version of Dante's Inferno yes. and you know, helping so, you across the river sticks. Yes. Yeah. So my now is, um, it's a now that's kind of, it happened now, but it should have happened like five years ago. The FBI has announced that they are taking new measures to deal with intellectual property threats and theft. And what they're doing is they are now reaching out to places like online advertisers and third parties that have information about how intellectual property is stolen. And they're working with these groups. Wow. And their rationale is sound. They're saying, you know, this will help us understand trends, it will help us understand technology, helps us understand what the the different crimes are. Totally a thousand percent true. And it is 2016. So the fact that they're only now doing this, and maybe they've been doing Slide it. Slide uphill battle ahead of them. Yeah, yeah. It's like we've decided to reach out to Time Warner to understand this new cable TV thing. It's so late in the game. I hope that it's useful. I hope that they are reaching out to people who actually know something, um, but who can say. I think it's one of those weird moments where it's a bit of a scope creep for an organization that maybe they aren't naturally well suited for this and now they're being asked to do it because there's really no one else to police this. That is, I think that's right. And I sincerely hope too that there is not an overreaching because when it gets difficult to um, deal with all the nuances and subtleties in intellectual property, it's really easy to just take a giant <laughs> the, hammer. The blunt instrument. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. No more World Wide Web. Yes. So that's my now. Brian? Mine is about Slack. A messaging tool that has gained a lot of popularity. We use it internally in the studio and have for about a year. It's great at replacing email conversations within an organization and providing more real-time connectivity for people who want to communicate with one another about a variety of topics but not get bogged
bogged down in what email has become, which is like sort of this onslaught that you feel like you can't quite find your way out. Insert Slack. They have recently acquired one of the top executives from Foursquare, which is their their task is really to bring Slack into the larger enterprise. So I'm curious to see what will be happening with that as it moves forward, because I think one of the beautiful things about it is the way that it has worked well for small and medium-sized organizations. It'll be interesting to see what features and advances they have to make to make it more attractive to large-scale businesses and whether those large-scale businesses really and truly want to embrace something at this platform. They, they may go kicking and screaming into the, the next next generation. The great thing about Slack is the simplicity of it. Yes. And that is something that I think may get sacrificed in the enterprise enterprise version. I think it's something that every technology goes through when it goes through its empathy where it's the, the cool kid and it you know everybody wants to use the technology and then suddenly, hey, there's a lot of money being left on the table but by not being part of the enterprise space. And I think that they're seeing that now. Goes to 11. Here's hoping. <laughs> so next is a Indiegogo uh, campaign called Spray Printer. And what Spray Printer is, is a quite literally what it sounds like. You attach, you take a picture uh, and you mount your camera phone on a tripod. And it's this app that uh, you use, the Spray Printer app. This isn't live yet, but it, they're raising money to do this. And as you have these coated spray cans that as you wave them over the wall, they release the right color of ink at the right spots to take the picture that's on your phone and spray it onto the wall, allowing you to essentially create your own wall art um, based upon things that you make. And it's pretty cool and interesting wow. to see that they're selling them in kits of like seven or eight cans. So each of the cans obviously has a different color. You then have the capacity to do multiple different passes over the same space. And then you, you end in, you know, whatever the piece of art that you were hoping to have on your wall. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I wonder how that will impact or if it will impact street art and Mr. Freeze types. I think the difference with street art in general is that uh, generally don't have the street space to drop your tripod in the space to measure the wall to make sure it's all right and exactly what you want. Well, it might not come out exactly, but... I yeah, mean, I mean, just the distance literally to the, oh, to the I wall see. And, and I focus. See. I don't yeah. know. I mean... People are crafty. They are. Mm -hmm. They get up to some shenanigans yes. and I would be, I would love to have somebody who does street art. We could interview you incognito. We could mask your voice. We won't tell anyone who you are. But I would <laughs> Once love, this technology becomes available. Yes. I would love to talk to somebody about that. Useful tool or not, I guess is the other option. Fair enough. What's next for you, PJ? So bit of background on refugee law. Bear with me here. Every country has different refugee policies and laws and standards for who it will admit and who it won't admit. Um, if, But sort of everyone, almost every country has agreed that if you don't meet their standards, they will send you back to the place where you came from. And most often, it's the place where you came from originally. So say that you're trying to get from Syria, for instance, to the United States, and you go by way of Russia and Germany and the UK, and you finally land in the US. If you're repatriated and sent back, you're sent back directly to Syria. You're not, you do not pass go, you don't collect $200. So what Norway has done is they, a couple months ago, they started using social media to reach 
potential asylum seekers who are seeking asylum in Norway to say, this is regime that we have in place for evaluating asylum seekers. These are the standards that you have to meet. It's very hard. We're not a utopia. You think that all of Sweden and Norway and Finland, that there's this amazing place. But if you come here, if you're accepted and you don't have anywhere to go, you're going to be sleeping in a tent on the ground. Finland has now adopted this as well, primarily targeting potential asylum seekers from Russia because there's with the decline of the ruble, there's such an influx of people from Russia seeking asylum in Finland. Both countries maintain, and I think this is probably true, that it's not intended to deter people who are really seeking asylum because they're being persecuted for political, religious gender reasons. It's intended to stop people who are like, you know, the economy in my country is really bad. I could just go next door and say that I'm here seeking asylum and that will buy me, you know, six months while my case is sorted out. They're saying not so fast, not so fast. And if you do this and we deny you, we will send you back to wherever it is that you came from. Even if the last place isn't your final destination. Right. So they had uh, some asylum seekers who'd gone from Kabul to Russia and were trying to get into Finland. And Finland sent out messages on social media saying, this is very risky. Be sure that you want to do this, because if we deny you, we have to send you back to Kabul. So it is a really interesting way of communicating with asylum seekers. It's outside of the box. It has loads of potential for abuse. It's like very big brother propaganda-y. It's also a way, though, to communicate with people that you didn't have any way to communicate with before. How else would you tell people who might be considering fleeing their country, look, this is what you're going to have to do when you get here? I think you'll start to see that in more countries, not just for refugee and asylum seekers, but for all kinds of things, health issues, even more so than you do right now. That's my next. Indeed. Bringing it all back to death. That's (laughs) what I do. Yes. (laughs) On that note... God, what an awful word. Yes, we are closing out this episode and thank you very much for listening. We hope that if you like what you've heard, you'll share this with your friends. We can be found at ittt.io or at their podcast is the Twitter handle at Graphic Machine is the handle for the agency. Also visit us at facebook.com slash Graphic Machine for agency and a feed to talk about this week's podcast. Until next week, thanks so much. 